Okay, as you're sitting down, tell the person next to you what was the last thing you bought on Amazon Prime. Come on, go ahead. <laughs> what was the last thing you bought? What was the last thing you bought? Some of you are like, uh, I'm not sure I want to tell you what I bought. I'm not sure I want to tell you. <laughs> oh, I love buying things on Amazon Prime. And, it, and it's, it, part of it is because it just shows up so quickly. You know what I mean? Have you ever that? Like, I don't know if you know this, but in Fenton, if you live in the Fenton area, they've just built a distribution center just over there where the old uh, Chrysler plant used to be. And because, because it's right there, I mean, sometimes you'll get it the same day. I'm serious. Like, you're like, one day, nope, three hours later. It's like showing up at your door. It's amazing. I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I suspect you have. It's just this joyful thing. You just click, and it shows up, and it, it's just beautiful. It's almost like, it's almost like, like we live in a world now that it's absolutely possible to not see other human beings. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I literally could stay in my house and probably get everything, quote, I need. Now, we'll talk about what that means, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but I think it's, it's one of those things, like, have you ever been sitting on your couch and been like, you know, I'm just feeling like we need a buster bar. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. Dairy Queen, people. Like, you ever had, like my, this happens in my house. Like, we're just sitting there, you know, we're talking, watching the game or whatever, and next thing you know, somebody starts to mention how we need to, to get some Dairy Queen. But who wants to go get it? Not me. I don't want to go get it. So what do you do? DoorDash that thing. You're like, how... Let's just get the DoorDash. So someone literally drives their car to Dairy Queen, gets you the stuff, brings it to your house. You don't even have to move. And there's this part of us that's like, this is brilliant. And the truth is, it is brilliant. It's amazing. It's awesome. We all love it. It's great. But I think one of the dangers of the world that we're living in currently is that we literally can get to a place that we actually believe that I can live self-sufficiently. That literally if I, I just do this and do this and do this, I can do it on my own. I, can, I don't even have to go and interact with human beings. I can just simply click the button, it shows up, I'm good. And so one of the things that, that I'm kind of messing with in this series is this idea that God has created us to be self-sufficient. Matter of fact, I would go a step further and say I think that's one of the greatest sins of humanity. That when we simply believe that I can do it on my own, it's one of those things that the enemy takes hold of and starts to twist and contort and, and mess with us in such a way that we start to really lose who God originally intended us to be. And so what I want to do for a moment is talk a little bit about this. I want to talk about how important it is that we get this right. Because if we don't get this right, what happens 
is that we start to believe a lie. And I don't know about you, but if you believe a lie, think about this. If you believe a lie, is that good? No, it's, it's not good. If you walk through your life believing on a particular lie, it can lead you to a bad place. And what I've learned is that we live in a world that on a regular basis is trying to sell us something that isn't necessarily going to lead to the things that we want in our lives. And what happens is eventually we get to the end of that road and we realize, oh my goodness, while I enjoyed the information, while I enjoyed the convenience, while I enjoyed the fact that I could do this and do this and actually isolate myself on some level, that while I could do that, it wasn't necessarily good for me. That we live in a world that is so convenient we live in a world that we can get anything, right? Like right here in your, I mean, if you pulled out your phone, you could find out almost anything on the phone. You could look it up, you could find it, you could have it delivered, you could book your flight, you could be in Egypt tomorrow. All by this little phone. And I love the convenience of it. I love that, that we have access to these kinds of things. But, but last week I shared with you, shared with you something that, that I was really concerned about is that what happens is that we've started to believe that more is better. And what I'm learning more and more as I read the scriptures is that more isn't always better. Yeah. Bigger's not always better. Uh, bigger doesn't even mean you're right. Sometimes we actually think if it's bigger or if it's the majority, it somehow has to be right. But see, that's not true. That's not true at all. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us something completely different. Matter of fact, I want to submit to you today that, 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 that less is often more. That less is often more. That when we gain clarity and focus and, 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 and really drill down, what can happen is that we can experience the life that God wants us to live. And, and what happens is that we get so inundated with information, and this information becomes this loop that we live in, in the present and in the past. And what it does is it cripples us to act today and into the future. That we get stuck thinking about all the information and we never do anything about it. That the Bible is very clear about this is that the Bible was never intended to be ignored. The Bible was never intended to be ignored or just kind of understood. No, no. The Bible was absolutely intended to be understood and applied. That's what Jesus wants us to do with it. He doesn't want you just to become big-headed. He doesn't want you just your brain to grow. You know, like you know a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, the Bible warns us that, that if I get a bunch of stuff up here, I might, be, I might start to actually think I'm pretty good. And then begin to be filled with pride. And pride leads to a fall. And so just because we know stuff doesn't mean that we have what God wants us to have. And my concern is, is with the complexities of our life and the situations we deal with, with the information glut that we are dealing with, that what can happen is we stop doing exactly what God has called us to do, and we know it. Because we spend so much time thinking about it. We spend so much time processing it. The Chicago Tribune had a headline several years ago, and this was the headline. Corpse discovered after four years. That was the headline. Now, I don't know if you saw that headline. You'd probably be like, oh, that's interesting. 
Well, the way the story goes is there was this elderly man who had been living in this house for a long time, and he was part of a neighborhood and the whole thing. And I guess just one day, he vanished. And no one knew where he went. And so over time, like, the house starts to fall apart. The grass grows high. I mean, the whole thing. And four years later, four years later, they finally figure out that something's wrong. So they go in the house, and they find this man sitting in his chair, basically died four years ago, and he's, like, mummified, sitting in his chair. Like, some of you are like, this is disgusting. How do you get to a place in your life where no one knows? Do you see what I'm getting at? How do you get to a place where no one knows? Now, I don't know this man's story. I don't know him at all. And I know that we have programs and social things and all kinds of things that try to protect us and, 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 and keep these kinds of things from happening. But the scary thing for me right now is that believers in Jesus Christ are actually choosing in many ways to isolate themselves. And my fear is, is that someday we're going to get to this place where like we pass on and the relationships that we've made are not actually, they won't be there because they weren't ever made because we were spending too much time on Prime and DoorDash and hanging in our house and watching our movies at home and never going to a theater ever again. You see what I'm getting at? See, 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 this is something that I feel very passionately about, so much so that I'm willing to, to, to adjust how we do things here at this church. Because I truly believe that if we can help people get the big idea, not just get the big idea, get what Jesus is saying, right? But then do something with it, it can be massive. And we're in the middle of a series that's moving us towards this big idea concept. That, that when you walk out of here, you know exactly what we were talking about. There's clarity to it. It's no longer like, what was he saying? I don't know. He had a funny story. He danced a lot. He was humorous. You said, what did he say? What was his point? And not only what was his point, what was his big idea, but what am I supposed to do with it? Well, the thing that I've figured out is that this is not enough. We have to begin to take this and get it down into our discipleship process, which is our small groups and different things like that. And so one of the things we're doing is we're adjusting and we're moving towards what, what we call a big idea model, where, where, where in your individual groups you are now taking time to discuss what was happening on the weekend. Now some of you are like, well, but I like Max Lucado. Fine, read Max Lucado. You don't need me to help you read Max Lucado. You can do your thing. But what I need to be able to do as a pastor is help you learn what we're about, learn what Jesus is saying, and then do it. Matter of fact, if you're a disciple, you can read as many books as you want on your own. And here's something I've been thinking about. So as a pastor, I sit and I prepare a message, and I spend a lot of time working on these things, asking God to give us something and help us and show us what it is, right? And, and one uh, old, older preacher told me this one time. He says, what preaching is, it's, it's, like, it's like studying so much that you have a dump truck full of information that you eventually deliver in a wheelbarrow. So you have this, and then you deliver it in a wheelbarrow. 
Now, here's the thing that I think about. I know that when you leave here, the likelihood of you remembering much of what I said. Now, you may remember a story I told and how it connected with something. But like literally, get to the end of the week and, and see if you remember what was said. Now, for me, I don't know about you guys, but that kind of makes me sad. Because I stand up on this stage and I burn as best I can and I give you as much as I got and I even get, you know, sweaty. Working hard up here. And then you guys forget what I said. See what I'm getting at? See, I think if there's a good, yummy, gourmet, awesome meal called my sermon <laughs> that I give to you, and then you forget about it, <laughs> it hurts my feelings. Not really. But do you see what I'm getting at? That, that, that if, if, if there's a feast before you, then why don't you go ahead and eat it? Why don't you go ahead and chew on that bone a little longer? You know, get all the meat off of it. Because what I find is sometimes we move on too quickly and we've got truth right in front of us and we just go on. And if we would just sit with it a little longer, we'd probably get something from it. The Holy Spirit would probably start to speak. And so for me, my heart behind this is not to do something just new and different. I don't really care about that. What I care about is that if you guys would grasp the big idea that we're talking about and then do something with it, because see, that's what Jesus wants. He doesn't want you to. You're not going to get to heaven and there's going to be a pop quiz. I mean, seriously, they're not going to be a pop quiz. And you're like, hey, tell me the disciples' names. <laughs> not those. I want to know the one they added later. you're like reaching back, hey, do you know? <laughs> hey, hey. No. Jesus is interested in you and doing something with it. I want to read something to you. You've heard this. Some of you have heard this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, right? The thief, the enemy, Satan. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Thief's purpose, kill, steal, and kill, kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy wants nothing more than to take everything from you. I don't know if you've ever read this story in the Bible, it's not even in my notes, I was just thinking about it right now, is that, that Jesus talks about sowing seed. And he talks about sowing the seed, like you're the farmer and you throw seed out, yeah? And the seed falls on different soil. And it talks about some of it falls on good soil and some of it falls on rocky soil. And, you know, maybe you've heard this. But what's interesting is that if the seed doesn't go into good soil... What happens? It gets stolen. It gets burned up. The birds come and eat it. And one of the things that I think sometimes we miss in this particular parable is that if we don't take what's given to us, listen to me, 
if we don't take what's given to us and do something with it, it will be stolen. See, the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So if you listen to my message, walk out of here and do nothing with it, friends, let me just tell you, it will be stolen from you. Does that make sense? This is serious stuff. This is a big deal. Because how many of us go to church all the time? Like, we literally show up all the time. Now, I know the data. Some of you are only coming like twice a month. All right, I know. I won't point you out. As a matter of fact, just raise your hand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Somebody like, no, please, please. But imagine if we walk out of here and everything that we have, the goodness, the, the great meal we just had, and we do nothing with it, the Bible says it gets stolen. I don't know about you, but that kind of scares me. I had a mentor, actually a professor in seminary. He used to always say this, and you guys have probably heard me say this, but it's something that stuck with me. He would always say this. He would say, if the devil can get you isolated and singled out, he can pick you off. If the devil can get you isolated and singled out, he can pick you off. Now, where's all this going? What in the world is he talking about? What, what's the point? Well, here's the point. Last week, I talked about how the enemy gets at us with information that distracts us. It's always distracting us, keeping us from doing the thing we're supposed to be doing. But here's another tactic of the enemy, and the tactic is isolation. That if we actually live our life in an information isolation, if we live in a place where we're isolated from the, from the people of God, from the, from the mission of God, what can happen is he starts to win again. He starts to steal, kill, and destroy. And the opposite, what Jesus says, is I want to bring you a life, an abundant life. That doesn't then come to be in our lives because we've allowed ourselves to become isolated. And the enemy, right when he isolates us, when he singles us out, then what happens is we never get what God wants us to have. You ever watch those uh, animal movies? What are they called? Like Earth? Or, you know, like... <laughs> where they, like, follow lions around, you know, and it's beautiful. Nature. Yes, planet Earth. You know what I'm talking about. And then you get to see these animals up close and... And have you ever seen lions hunt? Woo! What's their favorite thing to do? Get the sick one. Get them isolated. Get the one that's limping. Get them isolated. Because what? If they can get them isolated, they can attack. And see, that's something we've got to see. Get this visual in your head. And so there's something strategic as a church we do to keep that from happening. There's something strategic that we are doing that is systematically placed in what we do as a church in order to keep that from happening because my heart as a pastor is to never see anybody under my care get picked off because they were isolated. But one thing I've learned is I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. I can tell you the truth, but if you don't do anything with it, that's not on me. Because, see, I'm responsible to you, but not for you. And so we have to understand that God has a better way. 
And so Jesus understood this. He, he, he was talking to people in Israel and he was having his ministry time before his death on the cross. And, and he was doing all of these things. And, and people were curious about what Jesus was about. And they, they continued to interact with him and ask him questions. And, 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 and there was this one guy, a religious leader, a religious teacher, comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, What is the most important commandment? I don't know if you remember this in the scriptures, but this religious teacher says, you know, what, what is the most important commandment? Now, why would he ask that question? Well, I can just tell you, if he was a religious guy, I bet he was tired of trying to keep all the commandments. 613 commandments. You ever tried to keep 613 commandments? I mean, happy you can't even tell me what the Ten Commandments are. You see what I'm getting at? Like, how do you keep them if you don't even know them? And so he comes to him, and he's like, I'm, I'm sure he's tired of trying to keep all the commandments and do all the right things. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, can you tell me which one? Can you just tell me which one I need to follow? Because if I do that, maybe, just maybe I'll do it right, and, and then maybe I'll get to be with God, and you know what I mean. The burden that we live under sometimes. And Jesus kind of cuts through it. This question is asked, and, and here's, here's what Jesus says. Listen to this. Jesus says this. And this is in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's one. He's the one and only Lord. Verse 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And then he says this in 31, which is interesting. He says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Okay, now, you guys are smart people. The religious guy asked... What is the most important commandment? And Jesus answers him. But he doesn't give him one. He gives him two. Now he asked for one. And Jesus gave him two. Now why would he do that? Why would Jesus have a very clear question asked to him, understand exactly what the question is saying, and then come back with two things well friends when that happens i think we should investigate because i suspect jesus is trying to tell us something he's trying to show us something he's trying to help us understand that it's that maybe it's more than what we think maybe it's more nuanced maybe it's more something that we have to investigate a little more and and here, here's what i think jesus was getting at I think Jesus was trying to combat something that I think is prevalent in our world today and was probably prevalent back then. Is that we start to live our life with a me and Jesus spirituality. In other words, it's me and Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You love me? Yeah, I love you too. I worship you with my life. I give you everything I have. God, I just love you. And I could sit in my house all day long and I could just worship the king. You know, door dash Jesus right to my house. <laughs> but do you notice he doesn't stop there? 
he adds a layer. And the layer that he adds has to do with the horizontal, not just the vertical. And so, so, so what we have to see is that Jesus was trying to get us to understand that if it's me and Jesus only, then we are actually incomplete. Huh? Yeah. That, that there's something missing. And I would suggest to you today that there is heresy among us. And the heresy that's among us is that somehow it's just me and Jesus. Now, there's no doubt that it's you and Jesus for salvation, but, but, but that's not the end of the story. Unless you kill over after you give your life to Jesus, like literally, I love you, Lord, croak, done. <laughs> Unless that happens, there's another part to the story, and Jesus is trying to help us to see it. And you know what the other part is? People. That there's something about the people of God that's important to our journey. There's something about not just loving God, but loving others as I love myself. Why is that? Because I get to practice. Because I get to live in community and practice what it means to be like Jesus with other people, people you don't like, people that annoy you. I mean, if I, I got a list of people that annoy me. Matter of fact, I, I'll just share it with you. You're in here. We all have people that bother us, personalities that get us like, oh, ah, that person, I wish they'd shut up. <laughs> they talk too much. There's just such a know-it-all. You know, whatever. And then there's somebody else saying the same thing about you, right? Because it's always interesting that every, we always think we're good and everybody else is bad. You know what I mean, you know. And Jesus is trying to get us to see the importance of this messy group of people and how this messy group of people helps us become more like Jesus. Listen to this. This is from Randy Frazee, and he wrote a book called Making Room for Life. And he says this. He says, it's possible to be in the company of others and still feel isolated. That's interesting. Like, in other words, you could come to church and be in the company of people and still feel isolated. Community specialists call this brand of isolation experienced by many Americans as crowded loneliness. Crowded loneliness. It is the most dangerous loneliness of all because it emits, listen to this, it emits a false air of community that prevents us from diagnosing our dilemma correctly. We have exposure to people and lots of valuable content, you hear me, information, but not a deep connection, but not a deep connection to people. And so what happens is we think we have it. We're, we're literally walking through life thinking we're doing it right only to discover that we're on the wrong path. And the enemy not only wants you distracted, but he wants you isolated from the truth. So at, at Elevation, we have certain core operational values as a church. And when I say operational values, I mean that. Because you can have values that are only values that you ascend to, but you don't operate out of. Does that make sense? So, uh, so I can ascend to the idea of we should love our neighbor. Right? I can ascend to that. I can say, yes, we should do that. But I may not operate out of it. 
Does that make sense? Like you can do that. You can have a value that you ascend to, but it doesn't mean you've done something with it. Operational core values are the things that you actually live out. And so as a church, the thing that we want to make sure of is that we're living out these four core values. One of which is that we know God, that we work extra hard to help people know God, to have a relationship, to be in his presence, to know who he is, right? The vertical part, to love God with our hearts, right? And if you missed it last, I guess it was last month, I did a series on what it means to love God and worship and how we can worship God. So this is important. It's essential. Matter of fact, it's the place we should all start. Because if you try to love people without God, good luck. And so knowing God is essential. And so we want to make sure it's not just something we talk about, but everybody in our midst and who we interact with experience it, that they apply it. Number two is to find freedom. Well, how do you find freedom? I'm going to talk about that. Number three is that we discover our purpose, that God has a purpose for you. Matter of fact, I talked about that last week when Jesus says to all of us, follow me. We make it so much so complicated. And Jesus says, look, here it is. Follow me. You're like, what do I have to do? Follow me. Follow me. Every day. Every day of your life, follow me. That's what it means, right? And so, so we have to find our purpose so that we can understand that God has called us this. And then finally, our last one is that people would make a difference. That we would make a difference in our local community, in our nation, and in our world. These are the things that we measure success by. I'm not all that interested in having a big church. If God wants to give us a big church, great. What I'm interested in is the quality of disciple that we're producing. Not necessarily the quantity, because I'll tell you this, if I'll take care of the quality, God will take care of the quantity. So I'm not concerned so much about that. But if we spend time with the quality of what we're trying to do, we'll see these things come to be. Okay, circling back around to find freedom, this value that's on our wall out there. Well, see, find freedom for us is all about grouping. Because we truly believe that when we get together, when the believers get together, there is a power that is present that is different than when you get together here. There's something unique and different and so find freedom for us is about grouping. It's about getting together in groups. It's about getting together in medium-sized groups and small groups and little bitty groups. All the groups, because the groups are where it's at. The groups are where we actually start to gain the transformation that God wants to bring into our life. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a worship space and there was a, a song, maybe you had it today, it was a song, and it was like, oh, Lord, oh, that was good maybe even shook a little it was like holy ghost is right there right so you're just like enjoying it and it's like whoa yes ha and 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 and, and that's great but how often have we walked out of here then and the boogie 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 is gone and so if you're trying to live your life on the experience friend that experience is going to run out so, 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 so what I'm trying to get you to see is there's another step. There's another step to transformation, and it's grouping. It's community. It's the horizontal aspect of what Jesus was talking about. 
And if we miss this horizontal aspect, then I want to suggest to you today that we will miss the transformation that God wants to bring into our lives. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't give you his righteousness so that when you go before God, you can stand before him and, 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 and walk right into heaven. I'm talking about the now. I'm talking about, do you look like Jesus to your coworker? Do you look like Jesus to your wife or your husband or your children? Do you look like Jesus to them? Do you demonstrate the love of the Father to everybody you meet? And some of you are like, well, these are high standards. I know. Of course they are because they're from Jesus and last time I checked he's perfect and he calls us the Bible says to be perfect I didn't make that up read the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5 6 and 7 Jesus very clearly says be perfect as the Father is perfect how do you do that well one you need Jesus and two you need each other that's how we get to a place where we can literally experience the wholeness that God wants to bring into our life. So you know what happens in groups when you get together, when you start to get together? One thing that can happen is clarity. That's why this big idea is so important, that we gain clarity. In other words, we can't say anymore, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Right? I mean, we do it all the time. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. Yes, you did. Some of you have been in the church for so long. I mean, you could ace a final. But perhaps you're not doing anything with it. See, we need clarity. We need focus. Another thing that happens in our grouping is application. Like, it's not just ideas. It's not just a thought. It's application. How do I take it to the next place? And then ultimately, what can, what can, what can happen is transformation. Woo! Transformation that you become different than what you currently are. And, and you ask me this question, Pastor, are you saying that if I'm not in a group that I'm not going to get transformed? Yes! <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that transformation occurs in the grouping. That is what God designed. And when we remove ourselves from the grouping, we remove ourselves from the potential to be transformed. Because now we're just trying to do it on our own and we're door dashing it in. I want to read this to you. This is from a professor who wrote a book called Community 101. I'm actually almost done. <laughs> this is what he said. It is in a small group that people can get close enough to know each other. And as I say this, listen to all of the descriptors, okay? Listen to all of the descriptors. To know each other, to care and share, to challenge and support, to confide and confess, to forgive and be forgiven, to laugh and to weep together, to be accountable to each other, to watch over each other, and to grow together. Listen to this. Personal growth does not happen in isolation. It is the result of interactive relationships. Small groups are God's gift to foster change in character and spiritual growth. That's a lot, isn't it? So can we, can we just be real? Like, can we do that? Like, you guys trust me enough to let's just be honest? Let's just be honest. What this professor is saying 
is that if you, if you're a believer here, okay, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and have decided not to make the effort to participate in a small group of some kind, then these things are the things that are missing from your life. The list I just shared. You're like, are you saying the list? Yeah, the list. Because the Bible is very clear that these are the things that happen in the group. So here, I'll just give them to you. Can you hear me? I don't want any of you to miss this. I don't want any of you to miss this in your life. And you're like, well, Pastor, I've been to a group and I hated it. Maybe the problem is you. (laughs) And I'm not saying you're bad. I'm just saying maybe your attitude sucked. Like, have you ever heard this? Feelings, attitude, behavior. If you have feelings about it, it leads to an attitude. And that attitude then leads to a behavior. So if you're like, man, I don't like this group. Then your attitude sucks. Then your attitude leads to you having a bad behavior. I think some of us cut our own arm off because we're not open. Whew, this is getting real. But listen, if, if we don't do this, the, the, I'm going to give you the list. Just listen. I'm going to give you the list of things that you're missing out on. Closeness. When the, when the stuff hits the fan, friends, I hope you have somebody that's close. Being known, feeling cared for. I hear people say, oh, that pastor never called me. I'm sorry. I got a lot of people. But if you were in a group, as the church grows bigger, we got to get smaller. I can't call everybody. But if you're in a group of five or six, whew, now you're all right. Got some friends, people watching your back, helping you grow. A couple other things it says, feeling heard. Oh, I just want to feel heard. I want somebody to understand me. Being challenged, feeling supported, experiencing freedom, being unburdened. Because you know the Bible says confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. It doesn't say confess your sins to God. I'm not saying you shouldn't confess your sins to God. I'm saying that the Bible clearly says confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. So if that's the case, then if we're not confessing our sins one to another, then there's a chance we're not being healed. We can talk more about that. Experiencing forgiveness, learning to forgive. Some of us are bitter, angry, hurt, and it's because we've never practiced forgiveness. We've never, we've never learned how to do it. Laughter. Some of you need to laugh. Like you literally, like, I mean, come on, you just, all you do is frown all the time. You need the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you're always... Then the Bible says you have no joy. You don't want to live like that. Of course you don't. 
We need people to support us in pain. The longer you live, you will experience pain. You will experience pain. And who's helping you when you do? Accountability, security, growth, transformation. See, this is, this is what happens in, in the grouping. This is what happens in groups. And so uh, if you're not convinced at this point, I don't know what to do, that you need a group, that you need to sign up for a group. You're like, well, uh, stop with the excuses. Stop with the blaming. Take responsibility for your life Take responsibility for the transformation that God wants to bring into your life and step. Apply this message and get into a group. Because if you do, you'll begin to experience all of these things. And you know what else you'll experience? You'll experience in the Lord. You'll experience the Lord showing you things in you that need to get worked through, not just in other people. Yeah. So we need a big idea. And we need a group of people processing, thinking, dreaming about that big idea. Applying it and doing something with it because that's what God wants for us. So all of our small groups will have three components. Small groups will have three components. Now, if you miss one of these components, what happens to the stool? It falls over. There will be Bible, there will be relationship building, and there also will be service, one to another, but also in the church and outside of the church. Because guys, if we don't learn to practice this stuff and do the things that we say that we, 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 say we do, then we've got a problem. So these are the things, these are the things that I want to see come into your life. That you know more about the Bible? that you have some good relationships that can sharpen you and you can sharpen? Did you know some of you have a testimony that God has done something in your life that you've never shared, that God will divinely put you in a group that somebody else needs to hear? He does it all the time. And if we won't get in the group, then we can't share our story and help someone else. See, these are the kinds of things that God's doing, and it's good. Friends, it's good. Because he wants us to love him, but he also wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And some of you don't love yourself very well. And so it's hard for you to love other people. Well, the group will help you with that. The group will help you with that. So after four years, they discovered this dead corpse. I don't, and this is me personally. I don't want to get to the end of my life where I go to be with God and nobody shows up. I want to make sure I live in such a way that when I go to be with the Father, that the whole neighborhood shows up because I, I loved God well and I loved other people well. And so this is the challenge before us. Will we step and do something with it? Well, that's up to us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. It's so good. 
it's so rich. Lord, each one of us in this room need to look and examine these words this morning. I want to pray for anybody in this room that's on the edge when it comes to groups. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I want to pray for anybody in this room that's on the edge of making the decision to join a group. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for a greater drawing. I pray that there would be a conviction in your heart to take that step of faith and get signed up for a group. Jesus, I pray that we'd have the most participation in small groups that we've ever had. We believe in faith, God, that you are saving people and people are coming to faith, but God, we want to disciple people, and if you want to be transformed today, would you commit yourself to take that step? God, for anybody in this room that is committing themselves right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that that commitment would go deep into some soil that is good, that the enemy has no access to, and that it would grow into closeness. It would grow into support. It would grow into freedom. It would grow into weeping. It would grow into joy. It would grow into life. It would grow into transformation, God, that we would see a growth happen in this church because of the grouping that's about to occur. God, we thank you for it. And so Jesus was asked, What's the most important commandment? And the first thing he says is love God. Some of us in this room, if we're honest, would have to say we just haven't sorted out that vertical relationship yet. You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ came into this world as a baby, grew into a man, did ministry among us, but had a purpose and that purpose was to go to a cross and to die a brutal death for you and for me. And the Bible tells us that Jesus not only died on a cross, but three days later, three days later, he came walking out of the tomb that they had placed him in. And in that movement out, he beat sin, he beat death, and he provided a way for you back to the Father. And I don't know if that's your story, but today could be the day that it becomes your story. And so for anybody in this room that hasn't made that decision, I want to offer a prayer for you. And so if you're here today and you'd say, that's not my story, but I want it. I want to say yes to the gift that Jesus offers me, forgiveness of sins and, and everlasting life. I, I want that. Would you pray this prayer with me? Church, let's all pray this prayer together so nobody feels alone, but let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? I surrender my life to you. I believe. Would you be my Lord? Would you fill me with that living water? Would you change me from the inside out? 
I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate anybody that's given their life to the Lord this morning? Hey, I want to invite you to stand. I want to invite you to stand up as, as, as we respond to the message of Jesus. My heart for us is as we spend just a few minutes worshiping our King as we praise Him, that we would praise Him for the fact that He gave us a better way. May we worship Him. May we give Him praise as we come to an end. Jesus, you're worthy of our worship. We honor you. Amen. Come on, guys. Let's